It's a bad world out there. So take solace in a word on Solace Radio. I've just been debating about whether to talk about Rabbi Irving this morning because things are so crazy in our world, but uh, I think I should. I think we need to laugh a little bit, right? <laughs> so Rabbi Irving was carefully explaining to his Shabbat school class, like around first graders, the story of Elijah the prophet and the false prophets of Baal. He explained how Elijah built an altar, put wood on it, slaughtered a bull, cut the bull in pieces, and laid the pieces on the altar. And then Elijah commanded the people to fill four barrels of water and pour them over the altar. He had them do this four times. Now, said Rabbi Irving, can anyone in the class tell me why the Lord would have Elijah pour water over the pieces of the bull on the altar? And the little girl in the back of the room started waving her hand. I know, I know, she said. Why? Rabbi Irving asked her. To make gravy. <laughs> so I just want to thank, start out by thanking uh, everybody who wished me a happy birthday. Thursday was my 74th birthday. And thank you for the, the wishes, the cards, and the gifts. But I have to say, this was the worst birthday of my life. Um, I'm sure, along with many who are hearing this Thursday, uh, my heart was just greatly distressed over what has been happening in our nation and right here in our city. And at the same time, people were texting me and messengering me and saying, happy birthday, happy birthday. And it was like this schizophrenia. I was uh, 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 all day long. <laughs> it was radically different emotions. Uh, but um, thank you anyway. I, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't gotten the, the, the upside. I'd just be totally on the downside. <laughs> so this is a, a terrible time our nation has been going through for this past week. It started with an unlawful act by a Minneapolis police officer who murdered an African-American named George Floyd by strangling him, basically. And to top that off, three other officers were involved in that unlawful act because they just watched and did nothing to stop it. And both the murder and not stopping it were unlawful acts. And I mourn for this man and his family on his death. That's why we recited the Mourner's Cottage Day to remember him. And I can remember, not in my own lifetime, but in my reading of history, uh, there was a time in our nation when it would not have been unlawful for a white man to murder an African-American. And so we can thank God that our laws have been radically changed over the last century and a half to protect the rights of all people. So the laws are there to prevent these things from happening. And according to those laws, the authorities stepped in and the officer has been jailed and is facing a murder charge. And the other three are facing charges of being accomplices to murder. And then, as has happened over the past few years, this led to demonstrations protesting police brutality. And again, I want to say thank you, God, that our laws allow and say peaceful demonstrations are lawful. This is something that we can do. And many, many people participated in these demonstrations. But, the big but, in many cities, as darkness fell, protesting turned into violence with rioting, looting, assaults, murders, arson, horrific lawlessness, lawlessness. Crowds attacked police with bricks, bottles, and incendiary devices, and systematically looted and destroyed stores. 
These stores were places that were owned by people who had nothing to do with the murder or even with the police. And the police, they were stretched so thin with dealing with the demonstrators, they were not able to protect the stores from the looters. So as of now, and I don't think that the total is in yet, over 12 people have been killed, several of them police, many, many more have been injured. Hundreds of stores and other businesses, large and small, were destroyed. On top of the stress of all of these small businesses not being able to open because of the quarantine. So the assaults, the killing, the rioting, the arson, the looting, the destruction, they are all unlawful. And we're learning that a lot of the rioting was instigated by anarchists who want to destroy America's police, want to destroy our institutions, our laws, our way of life, and basically replace it with socialism. But, again, a big but, many people are protesting, pro, who are protesting are participating in the rioting too. Or they're saying the rioting is needed to draw attention to their cause. And then government officials have been very tentative about stopping the demonstrations, at least some of them. Because when they do, they're immediately attacked on social media as racists and supporters of police brutality. But government officials are sworn to protect the people in their communities. So by not acting to protect the people and property, they too are being unlawful. So where I'm going with this is, let's get to the root. What is the root of all this? What is the root cause? Some would say it's racism, but racism in our nation is against the law. So racism is really another form of lawlessness. Some would say it's police brutality, but police brutality is also against the law. So Police brutality is another form of lawlessness. Some would say pent-up anger over the brutality and racism is venting in this rioting and violence and arson and looting. But rioting, violence, arson, looting are all forms of lawlessness. So I believe the root cause of what we are experiencing today is lawlessness. And it's been happening all over in America. Now, has our nation always been this way? We, we go out and share the good news on streets and in doorways, and we ask a form of this question when we share the gospel. The question we ask is, has our culture in America become more or less lawless during your lifetime? It's really interesting, the answers. Believers always answer, it's become much more lawless. Unbelievers, oh, I don't know. Um, I haven't noticed much change, or I'm not sure. And then we ask, what do you think has caused this change? Believers always answer, taking God out of our culture, forbidding prayer in school, removing the Ten Commandments from our government buildings. Unbelievers have no clue. Why the difference in the answers from unbelievers and believers? Well, Jeremiah chapter 31 speaks of the new covenant. He's predicting it. And this is what he says in verse 32, or might be 33, depending on your, how your Bible is numbered. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It is a declaration of Adonai, the Lord. I will put my Torah, my instruction, my law within them. Yes, I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. So those of us who are believers, who are followers of Yeshua, who have entered into the new covenant, we have God's Torah, not just laws, but his instruction, where? Written on our hearts. So we will love it and love to obey it. So what has this got to do with whether people see our nation's descent into lawlessness or not? Well, here's what it has to do. Our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, declares in its second sentence, and I quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, 
that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So for us who are believers, the laws of our nation, our unalienable rights, which we were endowed, that means given to us, they were given to us by who? Our creator. They come from God through his word. And we have uh, just a very strong confirmation of this from Paul, Rabbi Shaul, in Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Everyone is to obey the governing authorities, for there is no authority that is not from God. And existing authorities have been placed where they are by God. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities is resisting what God has instituted, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are no terror, verse 3, for rulers are no terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you like to be unafraid of the person in authority? Then simply do what is good, and you will win his approval. Verse 4, for he is God's servant, therefore your benefit. But if you do what is wrong, be afraid, because it is not for nothing that he holds the power of the sword. For he is God's servant, there as an avenger to punish wrongdoers. In verse 5, another reason to obey, to obey, besides fear of punishment, is for the sake of conscience. So what's amazing about this passage is that Rabbi Shaul wrote this while living under the government of the Roman Empire, one of the most ungodly governments in all of history. But of course, this passage must be interpreted correctly. It does not mean we should obey immoral commands of the government. There are several examples in Scripture of God directing his people to disobey when the government commands you to do evil. Uh, one example is the midwives in the book of Exodus who refused to obey the, the king and murder the Israelites' boy babies. But scripture says that the laws of our government that do not con contradict God's laws must be obeyed because they are given by God. So we obey, we who are believers, obey our nation's laws that do not contradict God's laws, and we must speak and work against those that do contradict God's laws. Our society was founded on God's laws, biblical values, Judeo-Christian ethics. And to believers who have the law written on their heart, it's very clear our society has turned away from these values. Legalizing abortion, same-sex marriage, restricting prayer. But unbelievers don't have God's laws written on their hearts. They don't see the laws of our nation as given by God. And even if they do, they don't fear God. So they don't value the Judeo-Christian ethics, and they don't see our society's changes as turning from being law-abiding to being lawless. So what keeps them from breaking the laws that protect our rights? Some have good, active consciences, but others only the threat of prosecution by our government. And when government is hesitant to prosecute, lawlessness is the result. Now here's a traditional a quote from a Jewish book traditional Jewish book called the Pirkei Avot, which means the wisdom of the fathers. And it's so appropriate here. Pray for the welfare of the government. If not for the fear thereof, men would swallow each other alive. And fear in this quote should be interpreted as respect, as well as fear of prosecution. So what it's saying is where there is no fear of government, men would kill each other, would swallow each other alive. So I ask you, has the fear and respect of our government decreased in our nation? I can see it clearly because I'm old enough to have been around when fear and respect of our government was much greater than it is today. Here's, here's another quote from Jack Engelhard. He is a best-selling novelist, 
and a contributor to Israel National News. And this is the quote. A generation has arisen that has no respect for the government, nor for laws, nor for religion, nor for neighbors, nor for elders, nor for decency, nor for property. From city to city, men are being stomped. Out in the open, women are being clubbed with baseball bats. For it is now obvious that the grieving for George Floyd, though justified protest, was soon overtaken by amateur and professional agitators, white and black alike. They were biding their time, knowing that sooner or later the pretext will come, and it came by way of a brutish police officer, the one bad cop among the millions of good cops who make no headlines, the thugs taking over our streets. Where do they come from? Do they have families, homes, jobs? Were they educated? Yes, they were educated. This is the generation that learned to despise America, if not through their schools, then through the news media. The first lesson in the schools, patriotism is bad. Anarchy is good. America is imperialist. America gets no credit for our heroic efforts and sacrifices to stop the Nazis, the communists. Today, today is June 6th, the 76th anniversary of D-Day, one of the most heroic sacrifices made by our parents' and grandparents' generation. Every time I watch a movie about that, I think about, could I do that? Could I be in one of those landing crafts, walk into that hail of fire from the German batteries? I don't know, but they did it. They did it. Secondly, they're taught always be complaining. Never be satisfied with the gifts and opportunities America has to offer. I'm still quoting Jack. Third, always be resentful. Never blame yourself for failure. Blame people who succeed. Blame the country. So here, finishing up with Jack, here are some examples of the decrease of respect for our laws and our government. Number one, there is great opposition to removing people who entered our country illegally. They're here illegally. Why shouldn't we enforce the laws? Second, New York State, where we are coming from right now, now releases arrested people immediately without bail. Go right back out on the street. Third, many laws have been passed that contradict God's instruction in the Torah, legalizing abortion, same-sex marriage. Fourth, in this last week, local government's response to, loyal, uh, to, to lawless rioting has been so weak that the rioters think they can get away with their violent, destructive behavior. Why? Well, I've seen, maybe you have, police officers being interviewed are saying they're being held back from defending their cities by government officials, mayors, and governors. Now, we need to understand that this behavior by those in authority is disrespecting our laws because government officials are sworn to make their highest priority protection of the people of community and upholding our laws. So when they're doing that, they are acting unlawfully. And fifth, organizers of protesters of protests continue to call people out to demonstrate, even probably today here in Rochester. And people come out, even though, and this is where it's incredible, the demonstrations have repeatedly turned into riots with loss of life, injury, and enormous property damage. And this is what was making my heart so sick last week, and I, I suspect it makes yours too. Think of this. If you or I participated in a demonstration on Saturday evening, and I have to say, I've participated in demonstrations. I participated in anti-war demonstrations when I was in my 20s. I, I sat down in front of abortion clinics and got arrested. So I know what it's like to participate in peaceful demonstrations. But suppose you or I participated in a demonstration uh, Saturday evening, peaceful demonstration, and then when it got dark, it turned into a riot with assaults, killing, arson, destruction, and looting. Suppose you saw that. 
Would you come out again the next day to demonstrate when the possibility of that happening again? I wouldn't. And I can't believe how many Americans are doing this. They're doing it. So this is happening on our nation because I believe many have turned away from being law-abiding, law-respecting citizens and become lawless. Now, here's where it gets tough. How did this turning away happen? It's easy to blame all those unbelievers, the media, the Democrats, Antifa, anarchists, easy to blame them. But speaking of his followers, Yeshua said this in Matthew 5, verse 13, you are salt for the land, but if salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except being thrown out for people to trample on. What is he talking about? In those days, and still somewhat today, salt is used as a preservative. Being flavorful salt means being a preservative of our culture, of our society, means standing for righteousness in our society. Yeshua's followers are being told here to establish and preserve law-abiding societies to keep from them from deteriorating into anarchy, lawlessness, and debauchery. And history confirms that this is exactly what his followers have done right here in our country, because the origins of our country and of the abolitionist movement and of the civil rights movement and of the temperance movement movement were all believers. It was all people of God, all basing what they were doing on the Bible. So when we enter into the new covenant, our relationship to God's law changes. I'm going to go back to Jeremiah 31 and read it again. Verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my Torah, my teaching, my instruction in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In verse 34. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So what is the prophet saying here? In the new covenant, God puts his Torah or his instruction in our mind. Why? So we will know it, we will understand it, and we will rightly divide it. And he puts his instruction, his Torah in our hearts, so we will love it and love to obey it. And this is why most of our nation's laws derive from God's laws. So that transfers, we love and respect the laws of our nation. This was one of the biggest changes in my life when I turned to the Lord. Up to that point in my life, I had always tried to get away with, get around the law and not get caught. Just get right out there on the edge and do what you can and get as much for yourself as you can, but don't get caught if you can. And suddenly, when I entered into the new covenant, this miraculous change happened. The laws of the land, the laws of God were written on my heart. I loved God's law. I loved our nation's laws. And I wanted to be, to be law-abiding and show it. I wanted my government to have just laws and enforce it. And that's not unusual. I think most of you can attest that that's what happened when you entered into the new covenant. You wrote the law on your heart. But what do we see happening in the body of Messiah today? And this is where I said this is not going to be easy. Divorce and abortion are as frequent among believers as unbelievers. How many Christian leaders have fallen due to lust, greed, pride? Major denominations are performing same-sex marriages. God says it's an abomination. Ordaining, practicing homosexuals. 
Here's an example that I found. Embracing Options is a, is a uh, pregnancy, uh, pregnancy resource center. And this is a prayer request from a counselor. Speaking of a person she wanted prayer for, she's post-abortive and so is her boyfriend. They aborted several years ago when they were just out of high school. They're both Christians and were recently rebaptized to renew their commitment to the Lord. They still go to church faithfully. When I asked her, how would the Lord feel if she aborted this child? She came in because she was pregnant. She said she just asked for forgiveness. And then the council wrote, my heart is heavy. My heart is heavy. So in the book of James, James writes, therefore, submit to God. Moreover, take a stand against the adversary and he will flee from you. I understand this to mean submit to God in repentance and resist the devil and he will flee. So people of God, we need to repent for losing our salty flavor. And we need to call the rest of the body to repent for the lawlessness of the body of Messiah. We need to repent because we're part of the body of Messiah. We have not been the example we should have been to the rest of the world. We've not upheld biblical values. And here's a tough one. We have not worked for, donated to the election of people with biblical values. We've voted for people for reasons other than their stands on biblical values. We've not gotten involved in politics, teaching, or law enforcement. We have not prayed, spoken out, signed petitions, demonstrated out of busyness, apathy, or fear. This is the loss of saltiness. So how does this falling away of Messiah's body relate to the increase of lawlessness in our nation? We are the salt of the earth. We've lost our flavor. It's a battle in the spirit world. And we have not been on the front lines fighting. We haven't taken strong stands for God's laws. Our compromises embolden unbelievers who have no love for God's laws. And Satan is always working through fear to keep us from taking strong stands. So now that we understand that, let's look a little bit because I think this is really interesting. How is Messiah's body turned away from fearing God and his laws? And for those of you who have been part of the Messianic movement for a while, you're going to be shocked at this because it is such an amazing connection. I believe this turning away is a product of a subtle teaching <clears throat> that has silenced the teaching of respect for the law. That teaching is called antinomianism. Nomos is the Greek word for law. Antinomianism is against the law. It's a teaching that denigrates, disparages, lowers the value of the laws of God and of man. So where did this teaching come from? And here's where you'll be amazed at the answer. We'll go back 1,700 years. The church adopted something called replacement theology, believing that because the religious leaders of the Jewish people in Israel rejected Yeshua as the Messiah, God has rejected the Jewish people. And of course, that's why Israel was destroyed as a nation in the year 135. And now the church has replaced Israel as the chosen people of God. And all the promises that were made to Israel will be inherited by the church. But we also need to understand, besides all of that being false, replacement, also, replacement theology also teaches that the laws given to Israel, the laws that made us a separate people, are no longer valid, even for Jewish people who believe in Yeshua, and certainly not for non-Jewish people. For example, last week we celebrated Shavuot right here. But the church forbade the keeping of God's laws concerning his holidays. If you tried to celebrate those, you were excommunicated. If a Jewish person became a believer in Yeshua and wanted to join the church for hundreds and hundreds of years, they had to sign a document 
sign a document swearing that they would never keep any Jewish practices. They would never keep a Jewish holiday, or they would never worship on Shabbat. They would never circumcise their children. They would never keep kosher. So what was the effect of this? This caused believers to consider God's laws that he gave the Jewish people to keep us separate as bondage. That was the reason the church said, well, those are bondage. That's, that's just people trying to be right with God by keeping the law. And of course, traditional Judaism legalistic keeping of these laws supported this view. But this teaching made believers disrespect the laws God gave to Israel and the Tanakh. Okay, but here's the problem. Disrespecting one part of God's laws, teaching it is irrelevant, it's bondage, inevitably led to disrespect of all of God's laws. And that's antinomianism. Pastors became uncomfortable preaching the law. Oh, it brings condemnation on people and guilt. We want people to have to feel good. We want to give feel good messages, encouragement messages, God's love messages. I like to preach those messages too. But not preaching the law led to what we call hyper grace teaching that many embrace today. We can do whatever we'd like. It's all covered by issue of sacrifice. If you sin, it's okay. Just repent. You'll be forgiven. Just like the girl at the counseling service there. You'll avoid the consequences of your sin. You will not reap what you sow. This is why the church has as high a divorce rate as the rest of the United States. This is why the church has as high an abortion rate as the rest of the United States. So here's what's amazing for those of us who have been involved in the Messianic movement. The origin of antinomian teaching is found in our old nemesis, replacement theology, which we have discussed so often in which the Holy Spirit has called us as part of the Messianic movement to be tearing down. So now that you see where it came from, where, what the problem is, how did this antinomian teaching gain power within the body of Messiah? Well, Bible translators of almost all modern English translations were schooled in and accepted both replacement theology and antinomian teaching. And so their translations have given most English translations a strong antinomian emphasis. These translations make God's laws in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, seem irrelevant. Their only purpose is to convict the unsaved that they're sinners. But once we're saved, we don't have to worry about those laws God gave anymore. And soon this irrelevance applies to all the laws, those in the New Covenant too. So to see this dramatically, let's look at a typical translation of Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, which has the phrase in most translation, Christ is the end of the law. Let that sink in. Christ is the end of the law. What does that seem to be saying? The law, God's law, the Torah, is gone. It's ended. It's not relevant to followers of Yeshua. It's come to an end. It does not apply to us. Do you see a little bit of a conflict there with something Yeshua said? Anybody remember what Matthew 5, 17 says? Don't think I have come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to complete. Verse 18, yes, indeed, I tell you that until heaven and earth pass away, not so much as a uterus stroke will pass from the Torah, not until everything that must happen has happened. Verse 19, so whoever disobeys the least of these meets forth, these commandments, and teaches others to do so will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever obeys them and so teaches will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I don't think he could be much more clear. I don't think he could say it any more strongly. Does, doesn't this mean followers of Yeshua must obey the laws of God? Absolutely. So in order to understand why we have this Romans 10, 4 saying Christ is the end of the law, I want to follow uh, David Stern's commentary, his commentary on the Jewish New Testament, which 
he translated. And by the way, this is the great value of Stern's commentary and the Jewish New Testament, because we need to understand that he was the first English translator not steeped in antinomian or replacement theology. Uh, the second translators, and that's a group, is the TLV. That's the second group. So this is a really big thing, because it's only the Messianic movement that has brought this insight to translators of the scriptures. Okay, so it turns commentary on this. Romans 10.4 in the NIV. I think I've got a slide of that. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Couldn't say it any more clearly. The, the law has ended, right? And what's happening here is that the NIV translates the Greek word telos as end in the sense of termination. Now, the King James and the New King James are a little bit ambiguous. Here's how the King James reads. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. And if you haven't caught it, you can either interpret that he's the end, meaning termination of the law for righteousness, or the purpose of the law for righteousness. You see the difference there? So it's a little bit ambiguous. But other versions, the New English Bible, for Christ ends the law and brings righteousness for everyone who has faith. Today's English version, the Good News Bible, for Christ has brought the law to an end so that everyone who believes is put right with God. Has the Messiah brought God's law to an end? It's, it's incredible. God's Torah, his law, properly understood, is the very teaching Yeshua said, I have not come to abolish, right? God's eternal word remains the one and only way to righteousness, although it is Yeshua the Messiah through whom the Torah's righteousness comes. This is not peripheral, but central to the good news. So how should telos be translated to be in agreement with the rest of Scripture, in particular what Yeshua said? In uh, the lexicon, a Greek-English lexicon by Arndt and Gingrich, it says this. Telos is used 42 times in the New Testament. It means finish, cessation, termination, like we read, in four or five places out of 42. But in the great majority of cases, its meaning is either aim, purpose, or goal, something toward which a movement is being directed, or outcome, result, consummation of a process. So why is telos, which is regularly regarded as termination in Romans 10.4, when in most occurrences, it's purpose? Do you see how that would be different? Well, it's very simple. The antinomian belief of the translators influence their choice of words to support their belief. And, and I have to say, this happens for all translators. All translators bring their belief system into the work that they're doing, and they always have, they don't always have, but they often have a choice of English words to translate a Greek or Hebrew word into, and they pick the one that best agrees with what they believe. So, you know, that's, that's what they were taught. That's what they believe. But this antinomian translate denigrates God's Torah and the God who gave it. So how does David Stern translates Romans 10.4? For the goal at which the Torah aims is the Messiah, who offers righteousness to everyone who trusts. Now, he kind of used a different uh, word order there, but putting in the same structure as most English translations, which say Christ has brought the law to an end, it would read this way. Messiah is the goal at which the law aims, offering righteousness to everyone who trusts or believes or has faith. And these no longer contradict Matthew 5.17. They no longer denigrate the Torah. Instead, it says God's great purpose 
in giving the Torah as a means to righteousness achieves its goal in the coming of the Messiah. Uh, let me just also read here uh, the TLV, which did a good job at this. For Messiah is the goal of the Torah as a means to righteousness for everyone who keeps trusting. So what it's saying is there a person who has trust in God, which the, the Torah requires, will respond to the good news that the prophets Moses, Isaiah, and Jeremiah predicted in the Tanakh, also trusting in God's Messiah, Yeshua. It is in this way and only this way that he will be deemed righteous. So a correct translation of Romans 10.4 destroys the antinomian teaching that the typical translations support. Now, another verse, and I'm not going to have time here to go into it, but I'm sure you've all heard uh, somebody say to you, we're not under law, but under grace. But what does that mean? Does that mean we're above the law because we're not under the law? That's how most people would interpret it. But that's not what Paul means. That means we're not saved by the law. We're saved by grace. We're, we're not depending on the law to save us. God's grace is what saved us. But the way they translate it is we're not under law. So that's another example. You can go and look that up. Now, there has been a recent and very valuable move of modern Christian scholars away from this antinomian teaching. But very little of this has penetrated popular Christianity. Most people in the body believe the Old Testament law has come to an end and it has no relevance today. So what is the effect of this teaching and translations supporting it on Jewish people? Well, to Jews with any Jewish training in the Torah, uh, the Torah is correctly understood as central and an eternal covenant, an eternal element of our lives, of God's dealing with mankind and with Jewish people in particular. Therefore, the idea that the law has come to an end with Christ is shocking and unacceptable. And a founding principle of the Messianic movement, of Messianic Judaism that we are here, is that Jewish believers, like myself, living in obedience to Torah is a living demonstration that the new covenant is not antinomian, but the new covenant supports God's laws. So if God's Torah is disparaged, denigrated by these translations, what is the effect of this teaching on believers who have taught this way? Well, lose of respect for God's laws and in general, our nation's laws. Western culture has been strongly influenced by this antinomian teaching. And the result is a decline in Judeo-Christian ethics in our moral values and moral relativism. Everybody can do what's right in their own eyes. As long as you believe it, just do it. Anybody heard that? As long as you feel good about it, just do it. So what's fascinating to me is the replacement theology, which has caused anti-Semitism, the loss of our Jewish roots, had an even greater effect on our culture. It is what is actually causing us to move away from Judeo-Christian ethics and why believers have lost their fear of the Lord and his law, causing them to be less supportive of enforcing his laws, allowing compromise in the laws of the land. And unbelievers have become emboldened because the salt has lost its flavor. And they push our society further and further away from biblical values. And government officials have become lax in enforcing our nation's laws, further encouraging unbelievers to violate the laws of the land. And that's what I believe is the root cause of the lawlessness we are experiencing. So we're going to repent as a part of the body of Messiah for losing our salty flavor. Like I said, it's not pointing the finger out this way, but... How's that saying go when you point the finger at somebody else? You got three fingers pointing back at you, right? But before we pray for that and that we would regain our salt, our flavor, 
There are four things that we need to pray for. And these came up in our prayer meetings that we've been having by teleconferences, the ones that I've been part of. First of all, there are specific spirits that have been released to stir up this lawlessness that we need to be praying against. We need to pray them out and pray up a wall of protection around our city, our state, and our nation. And we need to ask God to send his angels to remove them and keep them out. So what spirits am I talking about? Well, obviously racism, hatred, anarchy, fear, greed, bitterness, and anger. Anybody think of any others? Did I miss any? Secondly, we need to pray for God's love to be poured out on all those who have been caught up in this hatred. So they'll find themselves loving those they've been hating. Thirdly, this is, I think you'll find this really interesting. Satan uses distraction to keep us from focusing our spiritual warfare, our prayers, where they would be effective in destroying his plans, right? So it is not a coincidence that George Floyd's murder and the resulting uproar have happened during the week our Senate is finally investigating the origin of the false accusations of Russian collusion, the Mueller investigation, the FISA court abuses, the entrapping of General Flynn, and the disappearance of Hillary Clinton's email. They're finally being investigated in the Senate committee this week. And some of you are sitting here looking like, really? Because the media, they're not covering that. What are they covering? The protesting and the riots. So we are distracted and we're not praying. We need to pray for what's going on in the Senate. And it's going to continue going on, I'm sure, for quite a while. We need to pray against all deception and for truth to finally come out on these things that have consumed our nation for three years. Fourth, here's where the fingers point back. Many of us have been strongly influenced by antinomian teaching. I have. What is the personal effect of antinomian teaching? Well, obviously, disrespect for God's laws and the laws of the land, but also willingness to compromise our moral positions. And the big one, unwillingness to stand up for righteousness, to take a stand against these things. So we need to pray for ourselves to walk in that truth. And also, before we pray, I just want to recommend that if you find these things interesting, get a hold of David Stern's translation, which is the Jewish New Testament or the Complete Jewish Bible, but also get his commentary. Because in the commentary, he explains why he translated things the way he did. And there's, there's lots of treasures like what we just read here today. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for reeling, revealing the subtle lie of antinomian teaching <clears throat> that has caused the disrespect for your law and our nation's laws. We thank you that you are the revealer of truth. And so, Father, for each of us who are here or who are watching and listening, I ask that you would show us where we have bought into that antinomianism, where we've gone along with it, where we've received it. And so, Father, I just confess having at times accepted and received it, gone along with it, and I take responsibility for doing that, and I repent, Father, of having gone along with antinomian teachings. And I thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness that you purchased for me and for others with your blood. I repent, Father, of losing my saltiness, of not being willing to stand up, to write a letter, to sign a petition, to go and be part of a demonstration. We repent of our loss of salt flavor, Father. Give us a respect for the law that we should have. And Father, we are part of the body of Messiah. 
So we repent for the rest of the body and their loss of their salty flavor. We pray you would restore the body's respect for the law and make us salt with flavor once again. We also repent, Father, for our nation, for its turn away from your laws, from your word, from Judeo-Christian ethics, from biblical values. And we pray that you would restore our nation to those values and to respecting your law. And then, Father, we pray that your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, would come and shed your love abroad in the hearts of the protesters and the police and the government officials, and that even as we go into the second week of this, they would begin to love each other, Father. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of discerning of spirits and the authority you've given us over all of the spirits of darkness. And so in the name of Yeshua, we take authority right now over that principality of hatred and fear. We bind those principalities and we command the spirits of racism and anarchy and greed and bitterness and anger and entitlement and socialism to leave our city and our state and our nation. And we break the power of those principalities of hatred and fear and we command them to leave in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Yeshua. And we ask, Lord, that you would put a wall around the city. We ask that our body would rise up the body of Messiah in the city and in the state and the nation and put a wall of prayer around our cities and states and nations and congregations to guard us from these spirits. And finally, Lord, we also bind the power of the spirit of distraction that has been sent by the enemy to keep the truth of what's happening in the Senate uh, from being made widely known, from being revealed uh, so that all of our nation could see the truth of what's been going on for the past three years. And so we thank you, Father. We pray for peace, shalom here in our city. We thank you that yesterday's demonstration was peaceful and that the people eventually left when they were supposed to. Uh, we pray for our police, that they would be wise and have the, uh, I don't know how they, they have the strength to have been going through this for a whole week. We pray that they would have the strength. We also pray, Father, for the ability to monitor uh, those who are uh, uh, organizing the looting that has gone on here and, and all across our nation, for the ability to monitor their, their phone calls, their texts, their, uh, the, the apps that they use so that the police would not be fooled anymore, but would know where the people are going to try to loot and would be able to get there to stop them. So we pray, Father, for that not even to be necessary this week, but for the future, Lord, that that, that uh, ability uh, would be gained. And we just thank you for the peace that we have, Lord. We thank you that uh, your peace passes all understanding and that in the midst of what's going on, uh, we can have your shalom and know that you are in control and that your purposes, we've read the end of the book, your purposes are going to be accomplished in Yeshua's name. Amen.